Hey guys, this is Georgia with Ancient Aliens, and you're listening to that one time I was abducted by aliens with Jamie and Bree. You're listening to that one time I was abducted by aliens. I'm Jamie. I'm Bree, and we're two sides of the coin. Hello, truth seekers. Today we are here with Grant Cameron who has been a UFO researcher and author since his first sighting in 1975. He's a recipient of two UFO Researcher of the Year awards and is a world-recognized expert on presidents and UFOs. He later switched to focus on the UFO-alien relationship with consciousness after a download experience in 2012. He is speaking at this year's Contact in the Desert virtual event, and his lecture will be Contact Modalities, The Nature of Consciousness. His workshop, titled Who Are They and How Do They Get Here, will look into key UFO questions and possible answers into who they are. How the heck did they get here? (laughs) Grant, thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, I'm honored to be on, and thank you for your interest in what I'm doing. Oh, big time interest. Man, I've seen you over the years at other contact in the deserts. Man, we've we've been following you for a while. And I love a good story of researchers <laughs> that start with nuts and bolts and very basic ufology. And then it just expands from there and goes into the consciousness aspect, because that's what I think ufology is overall missing. I think that's definitely a key aspect that we've yet to fully understand. It's one thing I always point out to people that none, none of the stuff that I experienced, I intended. It's not like I intended to go see a UFO. I had no interest in UFOs. It was just this small town was seeing these in 1975. And I said to my friends, instead of driving around the city, why don't we go see what everybody's looking at? And I said, it was like, I bought the lottery ticket knowing there's a chance I could win, but knowing I'm not going to see anything. We're not going to see it. We're going to, everybody else sees it, but we're not going to see it when we go out there. And I saw it and I was floored. And then the consciousness thing, I remember when I had that download experience, I was watching Colin Andrews give a lecture in Phoenix, Arizona, the crop circle guy. I had no interest in crop circles, none whatsoever. And, and I was thinking, well, you know, should I go for lunch? Should I, you know, I, and I said, nah, he's a big time researcher. I should go watch his lecture. And it was there when I had the consciousness download. And as I make the joke, I said in 2012, I could not have spelled the word consciousness and it could not have cared less. <laughs> and I remember when, when it happened, because I was the presidential guy, I had all the presidential documents and knew all the stories about the presidents. One of the big researchers at the time was a guy by the name of Jerry Pippen. He's now deceased. But Jerry said to me, he said, Grant, I can't believe you've done this. I, I just can't believe you did this. I mean, you're the president guy. I mean, and you're going to go over to this woo stuff. And I said, Jerry, let me tell you what. I didn't actually go there. I kind of got teleported there. And that's what uh, people have to realize is that a lot of the time, it may be a soul contract where we come in to make an agreement to do certain things. But in a lot of ways, I think that um, this is a lot less random than we think it is. Because in in the early days, that's what people used to think. In 1975, because I've been in a long time, people don't realize that in 1975, if you saw a UFO... Uh, everybody would think you're crazy except for the UFO people. And they would listen to your story and you tell their story. But if you said, I saw two UFOs, even the UFO people wouldn't listen to you because nobody sees two UFOs. It's a random event. It just happened. You're the right place at the right time, the wrong place at the wrong time. And nobody believed it was a random event. Now we know. It's like your show is called, you know, the, the one time I was abducted. And now we know it's like when you get abducted, it's like, no, no, you're, you're a lifer. 
if you start going back and saying, what happened when you were a young kid? Oh, yeah, I remember this, like Sinead, my assistant had a, had a fever. This happened, this happened, this weird thing happened. That weird, And you start to put it together and then people start to realize like, oh, oh, yeah, okay, I see the pattern that it's a lifetime experience that we may have chosen the experience. Or like, I'll, I'll give you the example. In the UFO experiences, experiencers, we know that the, the free survey that was done showed that 39% of all experiencers say at one point during their experience, they knew the answer to everything in the universe. 37% of them say they've had a near-death experience. And I remember the free people said, we need to, we have a panel. We need to get a panel for this to figure out why, why, why do all these experiencers have near-death experiences? And mm -hmm. I said, you don't need that. You just got to realize maybe it's not a random event. Maybe the fact that you're an experiencer isn't a random event. And the fact that you had a near-death experience isn't a random event. You chose them both to learn something. And so you see these bizarre synchronicities of people who know everything or near-death experiences. 31% of people who've had near-death experiences say at one point during their experience, they knew the answer to everything in the universe. That's exactly what the UFO people say. It's, mm -hmm. You see these parallels and you start to realize this thing is a little more complex and a little less physical, a little more spiritual. And a lot of people don't want to go with that because we're in a material world and they want the nuts and bolts, you know, explanation mm -hmm. of this thing. And I just keep saying to people, it's going to be like a thousand times more complex than what you think yeah. it is. It just gets more and more complex as you go along. And it's that's almost the struggle, too, when you go through all of the synchronistic events as an experiencer, because we are in this materialistic world. It feels like we have to literally break through completely out of it. And then we're just left in this rabbit hole of events that happened. And, you know, most people want to throw that out like, eh, that's nothing special. You're putting things together. And I completely agree with soul contracts. Maybe, yep. you know, we'd signed up for this. We knew we were going to send certain things our way to wake us up to see if if we dared to follow the trail and look for the signs and take us to those places. So do you believe that along with soul contracts that maybe we agreed and decided that we would also aid in other people's experience to wake up to that as well? You know, maybe you have a friend that doesn't believe anything and then 20 years down the road with you talking enough about it, something in them wakes up. Yeah, I'm a big, uh, if you've ever studied Michael Newton, that was why I had about four major events in my life. One was the UFO sighting, one was the consciousness download. One was seeing Dr. Michael Newton lecture at a UFO conference. And and this is the whole idea about life between lives where he does 7,000 regressions, people takes people into the, the world between worlds. And that's when you start to look at that. And when I saw that, I, I couldn't think for two days. I go, oh my goodness, this is how it works. <laughs> and it's the whole idea that, that we make agreements, soul agreements to come in here. And, and we're talking about a lot of people don't think there's these soul agreements. But if I were to say to you, okay, tomorrow you're going to have a car accident and then, hey, you have a car accident, then you got to really start to rethink time and space. I mean, it, it, he, he knew this was going to happen. Maybe it's not what we think it is. And so the whole My Michael Newton idea is that we make an agreement that we may have planned before we were born. We all three of us sat down and we said, Okay, you're going to do this. I'm going to do this. We're going to have this interview. You're going to ask me for an interview. I'm going to say, yeah, we're going to do this. And we all agreed because a lot of people will complain about, you know, that the world's in a terrible place. And I always remind them the Michael Newton idea. Get ready, because if multiple lives is a fact and if you came in here, 
you probably made some sort of agreement and you chose to be here at this time Mm -hmm. in this place in the middle of whatever mess you're complaining about and Mm -hmm. maybe you came for a particular reason so that's where i always say that um i've changed the attitude in terms of understanding that we probably came into the world to make an agreement to do something when we leave, according to Michael Newton, everybody has one question to ask them. You go in front of this council and they ask you one question, one question only. How did it work out? Because you're the one that did the planning. You can't yeah. bring up Hillary Clinton and the emails. You can't bring up the dog <laughs> ate my homework. You can't mm-hmm. bring up your mother-in-law. They're going to go time out. This is about you. All the world's a stage. All the men and women and aliens are but actors. They have their entrances and exits. You are not the actor on the stage. You are playing an actor on a stage. Big difference. Because you played King Henry VIII in high school doesn't mean you're King Henry VIII. You're just playing the role and you come in here. And so what I look at it is we came into the world. We have to figure out why did I come into the world? What am I supposed to be doing? Am I doing it? And whatever everybody else does is irrelevant. All I got to do is figure out what am I here for and what am I supposed to be doing? And people will do complaints. Like you'll see a lot of people, they think that if we complain enough about what's going on, that that's going to change the world. And we basically spend our whole life, whether it's watching sports and cheering for somebody else and living a life through sports players or living a life through um, trying to complain about politics or whatever that we're living in a, in a world that's not our world we forget that we are the one that are supposed to be living and we're supposed to be doing forget about what everybody else is doing it it's what you're supposed to be doing why we came into the world and that comes down to this idea of understanding that the, it's a reincarnation world because what they pointed out to me was i had this very major download in 2017 i had the one the consciousness one in 2012 but in 2017 and i won't get much into it but it is 24 things and they basically I was right walking down a street and I'm writing this stuff down. And when you get these noetic downloads, you know, like you're talking to God, start writing. I mean, this is, this is good stuff. So I'm, I'm writing this stuff down. And basically it was sort of saying that you're making all these assumptions that are wrong. And it said, is the world made out of nuts and bolts? If it is, that's one world with certain rules and regulations, but if it's made out of consciousness. That's a completely different world. All the rules are going to change. If it's one life, then that's one life. That's one world with certain rules and regulations. But if it's multiple lives, all the rules change. Is it random? Is, is your world just random? Things are just random happening to you. That's one world. But if it's not random, if it's pattern, that the whole world changes. And it was this thing. And it was this. You think it's this. It's this. You think it's this. It's this. And it was giving me these things. I'm trying to write them all down. And that's where we've got to realize is that we're making a lot of bad assumptions. Like I pointed out before we started, they told mm. me you're using wrong blocks. So we used to believe the world was flat and everybody, it made sense. The world is flat. It looks like it's flat. And it looks like, um, you know, the, the sun goes around the earth. Or in 1890, all the UFO sightings in the, in the United States, there was 10,000 of them. These airships that were flying around. The, the, the people that they talked to said, where are you from? They said, or from Mars. Everybody, oh, okay. So they believed these people from Mars. So they had these wooden ships that had come from Mars. And now we know this is totally crazy. But that's the thing is you, you're at a certain level of understanding and you use what you've got, but you have to realize that probably most of the stuff you've got is wrong blocks. So we replaced the wrong block about the flat earth. We replaced the wrong block about the sun going around the earth, the wrong block that we're the center of the universe, but all the block, we got all these other blocks that are wrong. And, and what we're doing is we're making the assumption in the world that we've got all the right blocks. We just need one more block. We put that one block in there. The aliens just tell us what's going on. We're going to figure it out instead of realizing that we're making a lot of really bad assumptions about how things work. And that's what that's why importance the importance of paranormal phenomena and UFO phenomena is it's an anomaly. When there's an anomaly, it tells you 
something's wrong with your worldview. You've made a mistake somewhere. And if you can figure out what the anomaly is, you're going to learn something about how the world actually works. Instead, we assume, oh, we've got it all figured out. We're so smart, almost mm-hmm. like Max Planck, the guy who, in, in father of quantum physics, when he tells a story, his professor in 1874 said, no point in going into physics, man. There's no point. We figured it all out already. <laughs> 1916, the head of the mm-hmm. patent office in the United States said everything that has been invented has been invented. That's what puts us in, in the box where we start to believe that we have got it all figured out. And that's the ego. The ego is running the show. I know everything. Don't tell me what to do. I, you know, I'm going to do whatever I want, this individuality. And I think what the, the message of the beings of the intelligence is, is this concept of oneness, that we are all one and we, nobody believes this. So we're fighting to be who's going to be the cancer cell that's going to bring down the body. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Don't tell me. It's like everybody's fighting and, and everybody's an individual. The number one message I got was that it's all one, is that you've got to realize you're all one thing. You're all working, supposed to be working together. And if you don't work together, the world is done. It's finished. If you're going to keep fighting and saying me versus you and, and making it into a football game and mm-hmm. the ends justifies the means and all that kind of stuff, it's game over. That, I think, is the main message that they're trying to put across. Well, speaking of that main message that they're putting across, you know, we have so many so much stuff in the news right now being dropped about the government coming out with all of these UFO drops and these videos that are being leaked. But it seems that this narrative in the mainstream media seems to be pointed towards a very negative threat-like invasion that's going to happen. How do we, as people who are researchers in this field, shift that mainstream idea into the more consciousness side so we can get people more focused on that and stop being so focused on the government releasing videos? What, what you have to do is you have to listen to the experiencers. That's what I say, is the vast majority of people will say, as experiencer, just anecdotal. They believe they're on a ship. They believe they're talking to an alien. And it's like, yeah, it's all anecdotal. Everything's anecdotal. Your UFO sighting, everything is anecdotal. It's all going through your head. So the if you talk to the experiencers, they will say, like, for example, the free survey said, they, they, they asked the people, they said, how many of you people think it's evil? There was like 9% that believed mm-hmm. it was evil. The rest, they, that was all. Yeah. And so then Ray Hernandez went to the people who said, well, why did you think it was evil? Because it scared the daylights out of me. And he said, that's it? Yeah, it scared the daylights out of me. He said, well, that doesn't really make it evil. And mm-hmm. that's, and if you take a look at the free survey, it said, they'd ask the people, if you could stop this phenomena, would you stop it? 83% said, no, no, keep it going. No, I don't want to stop it. And so what they're doing is they're, and they're, it's a kind of a shell game that they're playing. And I've mm-hmm. sort of called them on it numerous times and they get upset, but I don't really care. Well, what it is, <laughs> is if you take a look at what's happened with the Senate, that um, I was told in 2016, I was told, I was on the inside. This has been going on for six years. People don't realize that. This, mm-hmm. this started with Hillary Clinton and, and John Podesta. I'll guarantee you, they started mm-hmm. this whole disclosure movement. They wanted to move it out. John Podesta was really very interested in UFOs. Very. He'd work for the Clinton. He tried to get Clinton to disclose. So it started back then. And what, what they, they did was they, they put this stuff out. And then um, in the Obama days, what they said was, oh, we got to get some money to fund this thing because nobody's interested. I mean, if you talk, you know, go to anybody in government, they're not interested. Like, I'm, I'm busy doing my stuff. I've got other stuff to do. I'm not really interested in UFOs. So you got to find some way to sell this. It's like you've got a cure to cancer. So what I was told in 2016 is I was told this. A number of high-level government officials are going to come forward, and they're going to say UFOs are real, and then they are going to force disclosure. That's exactly mm-hmm. what's happened. Lou Elizondo came forward. Chris Mellon came forward. Mm-hmm. Justice came forward. Jim Semivan came forward. They said UFOs are real and they're pushing it. So the thing is, when you go to Congress, who have they briefed in Congress? And I remind people, who have they briefed? The Senate 
Intelligence Committee, the mm-hmm. Senate Armed Services Committee, the weapon people. Did they, if, if, if it's all about love and light and, and aliens and learning about uh, life in outer space, which is what they promote on the side, why did they not brief the Science and Technology Committee? Why did mm-hmm. they not brief the Outer Space Committee? They didn't, they, they briefed it the, because what they need to do is raise money. And unless you can scare the living daylights out of the senators, yep. And I say fleece them and basically get them to believe that they're about to get eaten by aliens. They're not going to get any money because if they say, well, you know, we'd like to learn with these aliens. They've got messages of love or whatever. They go, get out of that. And don't let the door hit you on the way out. Mm -hmm. I mean, get the heck out of my office. I'm I'm not interested in that. That's the idea. That's how business works. Create a need and fill it. So the need is because during the um, um, Obama days, uh, if you remember, Leslie Kane was the big name. Mm-hmm. And if you look at Leslie Kane's book about the generals, about all this sort of stuff, John Podesta writes the forward. And what they say there is we need to research UFOs because they may be a threat to airline traffic. Mm-hmm. And now they've dropped that because everybody went, airline, come on, get out of your airline traffic. Yeah. <laughs> but now they're having this thing, oh, they're, te- they're after the uh, the military planes Ships and stuff. And like stuff that. Yeah, that's, that's a warning. They, mm-hmm. If they're shutting down the nuclear missiles, that's a threat, shutting down the nuclear missiles. I say a threat you should give them the Nobel Peace Prize for eternity for mm-hmm. shutting down the nuclear missiles exactly. that's what it's all about it's like Danny Sheehan talks about Danny Sheehan says it was, it's absolutely the most uh, egregious thing you could possibly do in the world is to drop a bomb on civilians yep. and this is what nuclear weapons are going to do and the idea that this is a threat they're this is the warning they're saying you guys are out of control and the whole idea of having nuclear weapons is the fact that we think it's the separation idea don't tell me what to do. I'll do whatever I want to do. If I want to drop a nuclear weapon, I'll do yeah. that because it doesn't affect. It's it, that and, ego. And and that's the whole deal is that we don't realize it's like a bell. It's like a giant bell. And when we detonated the first atomic bomb, the entire bell of the universe rang. And everybody said, uh-oh, the kids have got the matches. Let's go. That's mm-hmm. when they started to come. And that's the big threat is because what we do in the environment because if you go back to the ecology, the ecology, the ecology movement only started in about 1930. Before that, there was no idea about the fact that what you did dumping stuff into the river would affect everybody else. That ecology idea is only in the last hundred years that has developed. And now we've got the, the idea of the nuclear weapons. Not only is what you do on this planet, it will affect what happens in the rest of the universe. So what the Canadians were told in the 1950s, the, the head guy was a contactee. And what the message that, he, that I heard that he had said was, they, they were dealing with an alien by the name of AFA. And AFA mm-hmm. said, shut down the nuclear missiles. Stop mm-hmm. the nuclear missiles. They said, we, the only time we will ever interfere with the Earth is if you, de- you have a, a nuclear exchange. We will step in and we will stop it. And we can prove that we can stop it. We can take the world, take the moon in front of the entire world, split it in half, put it <laughs> back together in front of the entire world to prove that we can stop a nuclear exchange. Other than that, said AFA, we will allow the human race to stew in its own juices, which means to me, they really don't care whether we wipe ourselves out. We've been or wiped not, ourselves yeah. out. It's, it's the old idea that whatever happens in a reincarnation world, it doesn't matter if we wipe ourselves out. We're coming back. You mm-hmm. just keep running that play to get it right. You're coming back on another planet. You're going to learn your lesson before you get out. So they don't really, that, that's not their main issue is trying to save us. They're not going to try to do our homework for us, but they are going to stop us from destroying the planet because mm-hmm. it affects the rest of the universe. So that's what they're worried about is the nuclear weapons and the planet. And if we decide to do, do ourselves in, well, then that's the way it's going to be. Oh my goodness. So that's interesting because I was going to ask you if you think that people are having these experiences so that they do wake up and come to that more love and light type of message so we don't blow each other up. But 
you're saying maybe they don't necessarily care whether or not we do that. Well, they, they care. But the thing is, you, again, you go back to the reincarnation idea. Is it a soul contract? So the people that are waking up have agreed to wake up. They have mm. made a deal with the beings. And so people have the evil alien stuff. Oh, it's evil aliens. I say, hey, guess what? If you, if you say you die today and you wake up tomorrow and you're a gray alien, are you now evil? This is idea of like a racist idea of like there's good races and bad races. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nonsense. There's just souls reincarnating in and out. So the whole idea behind the, the, the experiencers is that you probably made an agreement with the beings that you may have been in an ab- agreement and that's how they come in. So they can't interfere with the world. They can't stick in and do our homework for them. But if we make an agreement with someone who comes in, then you can do it. That's how you get around that principle of non-interference is that you and mm. I and everybody else have made agreements to come in here to help wake the world up. We And people think I'm not going to come back. People always tell me this. Oh, when I, when I leave, man, that's it. I'm off the karmic wheel. I'm not coming back. And I said, come on, mm-hmm. as soon as you get out there, the Newton thing says, you're going to know what, what it's all about. And you're going to go, oh, I'm coming back to help. So you make the thing and they say, the world is about to destroy itself. It's 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 on this verge. Who mm-hmm. volunteers? And everybody goes, yeah, let me go down. And, <laughs> and we come down to volunteer at this particular time. So we have a very important role. So if you believe in the soul contract, the role we have is very important that we are probably chose this role to help lighten, enlighten the universe. But in the end, it's, it's this balancing act of it's our individual role. And this is, if you've ever re- uh, done... Uh, um, uh, Dolores Cannon. She talks about the three waves. The, this idea that at this particular time they're coming in to try to shift this thing. That they realized there was going to be this point of time when we would be at a verge of destroying ourselves. And so they give these warnings. But it's, it's you, almost like you giving your warning of yourself. Because a lot of time I'll ask experiencers. I'll say, "You're on board the ship," and then they go, "Yeah." And I say, "Did you see the screen?" <laughs> and and have you seen the screen? They don't have to ask them. You don't have to tell them what the screen is. They go, "Yeah, I saw the screen." What do you see on the screen? And they'll show four things: big fire. They'll show the the um, the one woman saw big as uh, flood. And I said, "What? Well, sure, it was a flood." She said, "Yeah," because there was trees in the second story of these skyscrapers in New York, whatever. And she said that the beings had said a billion people dying, and and that she had been told. She said the beings told her this is what it may take for you people to wake up. And so they'll see the nuclear devastation thing, or they'll see the ecology. If you see the 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 ones from, if you remember the aerial school story, the, the kids at the mm-hmm. aerial school, mm-hmm. yeah. they were getting these, what are called rapid image cycling, which the aliens use. It's called rapid image cycling. They flip these things to your, your brain at very high speed, which shuts down your left brain. And so these images are coming. So um, the one girl, Emily Trim was the Canadian girl that was there. Mm-hmm. And beside Emily Trim, they were running on these logs on the edge of the, on, on the, edge of the, the, the playground. And the girl on the right-hand side was getting these ecological images. Like the world is, the trees are dying and everything's dying and you're destroying the world and all this sort of stuff. And she's getting these images coming at a very rapid rate. Emily Trim was getting the images of technology. These technological images coming at a very high rate. And the last one was this giant sort of flash. And she thought, well, that didn't mean that the world got destroyed. But that's the thing. So they put these images in people's heads. Then those people repeat the images and the, the idea filters out. So rather than them coming in and giving messages, because we have always have the idea like American foreign policy. We're going to go in and we're going to bring, we're saying, we're here to bring you freedom, democracy, Jesus and McDonald's. And everybody starts <laughs> pointing the guns and say, get the heck out of mm-hmm. here. Yeah. You cannot <laughs> do your kids homework. You've got to let people understand and work through it. It's like your, your children. You don't do their homework. You could send them through school, never write a task or write all their tests. For them. But what do you learn? You, it's this idea of there are no good and bad things in the universe. There are just things you learn from. 
that you may have chose to die early. You may have chose an accident. You may have chose a fever. You may have chose whatever to open yourself up. Cause you see in contact modalities that in all contact modalities, almost always there's a trauma event. It'll be like mm-hmm. Sinead, who is my assistant. She had this very heavy fever at four years old where she had this thing. And she remembers this fever at four years old. Now she's like hundred percent down. She has cochlear implants. She, and, and you, you get this thing or a lot of mediums have childhood abuse issues. Mm -hmm. And so the thing is people say, well, I would never choose that. Well, maybe you would choose that because it's the idea of opening the filter Mm -hmm. that you get to this Mm -hmm. position that we think, just give us the good stuff, just give us all the good stuff and take all the bad stuff away. And we've got to realize in, in a world, it's the idea where, you know, people say the karmic thing. Well, you know, if you kill somebody, well, then you have to be, uh, then you have to die of being killed by somebody else. And people are like, that makes sense. But then you got to realize in the Newton world, it's like, yeah, but somebody has to volunteer to do that. Mm-hmm, and, right. this, and then you start getting in this world, like, really, what's going on here? It's And that's where Shakespeare said, and I hated Shakespeare. And then I can't believe I'm sh- quoting this guy. It's like, all the world's a stage. All the men and women and aliens are but actors. They have their entrances and exits, and each man plays many roles. And it's we're coming onto the stage to play this role and to remember Remember who you actually are. You are not the player on the stage. You have come in to play a role on the stage or like Whitley Strieber, if you've ever interviewed Whitley Strieber, his, his, his wife said a thing that just still blows me away to this day. When she died, she said, she came back to him and she said, Whitley, I am no longer Anne, but I'll always be Anne to you. And mm-hmm. that's saying I'm off the stage. I'm going on to play another role. I'm going to, but I'll always be your Anne because you and I played the role. We were on the Mm -hmm. stage together and I played Anne, but I'm no longer Anne. I'm on to a different role. And that's what we got to remember. We are not the player on the stage. We are the player who's watching the stage play. And Mm -hmm. we get the ego makes us think, oh yeah, I'm, 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 I'm here. I'm the actor and I'm, and it's all about me and stuff like that. We forget. No. And in psychedelics or near-death experiences and stuff, that's when the ego gets shut down. People talk about that. And then suddenly it's like when you have the, the ayahuasca experience or something, which Sinead had, then suddenly you go, oh my goodness, everything's alive, everything's conscious, and everything's one. And that's where we make the mistake because we think the, the, the conscious world is the real world. But when that opens that filter and everybody will say the same thing or in the near-death experience, people say, I suddenly realized everything was alive, everything was conscious, and everything was one that's the real world we believe everything's separate it's me versus you good versus bad the ends justifies mm-hmm. the means all that mm-hmm. nonsense and that's the wrong world that's the the misinterpretation of reality the real reality is when you can open that filter in like an near death experience and you're moved into that higher realm of non-local uh thing where people say i knew the answer to everything in the universe and i and i always say to people like they'll say well that that that, that can't be true and i say what if you're going to make up a story that's not something you're going to put in your story. Oh, I knew everything in the universe. Mm-hmm. And I would say, even say to people, I'd say, hey, so how do you know there wasn't uh, number six, seven, eight on the far side of the universe? It forgot to tell you about. And they'll say exactly what I said about my download experiences, my noetic experiences. I'll, they say the same thing. They'll say, I, I don't know, but I, I just know. I know. It's like I was talking to God. I know. I don't know how I know, but I know that is the real answer. And that's what they'll say. I, I just know. I knew everything. And I always said, I'm going to remember. I'm going to remember. And as they were coming back from their near-death experience or abduction experience or whatever, suddenly it started to fade away. And they're trying mm-hmm. to, almost like a dream. They're trying to hang on to the dream. And all they can remember is, I knew the answer to everything in the universe, which is pretty wild stuff. The same as when you talk to people and the experiencers and you talk to them. I had one after I had my, my consciousness experience. In 2013, they set me up with this woman in her 70s in, in Phoenix, Arizona. She comes to me, she starts telling me all the stories. She's a remote viewer. She's been abducted. And you know, that's whatever. You know, I've heard all these stories a million times. And she's telling me the stories. <laughs> and then she says to me, she says, yeah, and last night I was flying the flying saucer. And I'm like, you're what? 
a flying flying saucer. I said, they let you fly the flying saucer. I was like, you're ready to throw her out of the house. Like 75-year-old lady. Yeah. They let you fly the flying saucer? And I said, yeah. She said, I've flown three different models. And I said, so how do you fly a flying saucer? It's just, oh, you do it with your mind. And mm-hmm. I've now got 50 people. I'll say the same thing. So again, if you're going to make up a story, that's not the story you're going to make up. I yeah. flew the flying saucer. I mean, that doesn't mean, because I, I was like, oh, there was only like 2013, I first heard that story. I thought she was absolutely insane. Crazy, yeah. And that's the whole deal. It's all consciousness. You start to realize, and the it's almost like the beings are releasing a little bit at a time where our consciousness is rising. We're starting to realize there's more and more of this consciousness connection. Because I can guarantee you before 2012, there was nobody talking about consciousness. Now everybody's talking, about, even if people who are nuts and bolts people will say, oh yeah, I'm talking consciousness. They have no idea what they're talking about. But they know you got to use the word consciousness because <laughs> mm-hmm. people- yeah. It's a hot button word. Yeah, they, None of them ever know what it means. No one knows what consciousness means. It's this ambiguous word that we use to describe something that we just cannot understand. Yeah. And we just don't want to get left out. We don't want to be yeah. seen as, as old school anymore. Oh my gosh. So speaking of that, Jamie and I did an episode- of- uh, probably a month ago, and we were talking about Sirius, you know, like ancient connections with Sirius, and we had looked into an, a, a channeler who was channeling some beings from Sirius. And one of the questions was, why is it now that whenever we see a UFO, a craft, it isn't really your typical metal, you know, this silver metallic flying saucer. Now they look like orbs and almost like plasma. And the being said it was because we can now that we're consciously ready for that. And before in the 1950s, we needed that imagery. Our brains, we, our consciousness needed that imagery to put, okay, these are a physical object. There's people that look different. They're coming from somewhere else. And now that our consciousness is taking these kind of steps, we're able to see different types of craft. So Jamie and I, that just really was like, we were oh like, what? what have we actually been looking so at? So then, then we were like, was there ever really such thing as a flying saucer? Or is this just a mental image? What do you think about that as far as craft goes and, and how people are seeing these and what they're seeing? Exactly. It's a good point because I, I call it the theory of wow. When I had my first UFO sighting it was 1975 in the middle of May. There was a local TV stu- studio had caught this thing jumping off the ground. And I remember the first night it flew right in front of the car. Like, so it was not a light in the sky. It was right there. And it was like, whoa, it's like, um, just blew me away. And the second night it came right at us. It was flying really down low, directly at us. And I remember it was jumping around the sky first. It, it changed from one object to another, which I pointed out to a lot of people. Oh uh, I was even, even Jacques Vallée, I was asking about this. Like, what do you do with an object that actually changes when you see it? I had two experiences like that, where it started as one object. And when it came to me and came in close, it was a different object, totally. And so I remember it was flying away. It made this left-hand turn and it started flying away into the Northeast. And then I'm thinking, what's it doing? And I always ask people, like I ask them when they have their UFO setting, I say, hey, let me ask you, what was it doing? And they go, they, everybody says the same thing. It wasn't doing anything. It was just Nothing, yeah. <laughs> it was, and it's like, maybe it's like, do you, do you think it was personal for you? And people will say, yeah, yeah, I think I had a personal connection. It was like it was there for me. And mm-hmm. so that's the whole thing is, and when this thing made this turn, so it came at me and then it made the left-hand turn. Well, why didn't it just go make, why did it make the turn? Why did it come at mm-hmm. me? If it was going that direction, why didn't it go that direction? It came because it, it had nothing to do with where it was going. And so when you start looking at this kind of stuff and you see like 1890, there was wooden ships with, with, with sails 
and propellers on them yep. and uh, ropes hanging down and guys that said they were from Mars and were dressed very strangely. And then it ch- changes to uh, the World War II was the Foo Fighters, these balls of light mm-hmm. off the edges of the yep. plane. Then it turned into green fireballs at the end of World War II, then the flying saucers. And, and then it was the Adamski crafts with the balls under it. Yep. And, and you start going and you start. And I say, this is a theory. Wow. They just want you to go. Wow. They just want to go. Wow. If you've mm-hmm. ever heard the story, I'll, I'll give you a good example. Bud Hopkins, you're familiar with Bud Hopkins, yep. the famous abductee, uh, abduction experiencer. People don't realize he had the experience of War of the Worlds. Mm-hmm. When he was a young boy at seven years old, he was in the room and War of the Worlds. He lived in New Jersey. And this is where it happened in New Jersey. And they're coming. The aliens are coming. And the neighbor came over with the guns and he said, we're going up on the hill. We're going to defend from these the Martians. They're coming. And Bud Hopkins' father wouldn't go. But Bud Hopkins, that's where he got this fear thing. He mm-hmm. had, in his room and he's looking out the window like looking for santa claus he's looking out the window to see if the aliens are coming and the father said not going to go and they, they marched out and they went and stood up on top of the the hill to wait for the aliens to come they're going to shoot them and so that's where it started and in 1960s mid 1960s and this is where you come into is this random experience or is this a real experience he's driving along at cape cod with these people from england and all of a sudden this ufo is there and it's like what's it doing nothing it's just sitting right above him in the middle of the day this flying saucer above where they're going and he's driving and he's looking at this thing and he's looking at it and he actually goes back the next day and he recreates how long he was driving how where it was and he becomes absolutely obsessed with this thing yeah and like it's got his attention and then in the 1970s so this is how they drag him in you got to realize this is this random or are we dra- our higher self or the aliens dragging people in so 1975, he's he 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 liked to drink. So he had a, he had the guy that sold the liquor at the local liquor store at the corner. So he went to the guy, and the guy said, "Hey, bud, I saw this really weird thing. Followed my car and went over the car, and I think it was in Close Encounters. Remember that thing where it goes over the top of the car? Yeah, goes in front. This is the story. I think this is where they got the story. So it it goes in front of the car, and then it goes and lands in this field, and then these aliens get out, and they got shovels, and they're digging holes. And Bud says, what, they're digging holes? And so he goes and he goes to the field where this happened and he finds these holes, 15 holes dug in the, in the, in the, in the ground. And he goes to the guy, the, 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 there's an apartment there. And the guy was the, the watchman there or the guy at the front door said he saw something in the field. That's how Bud got dragged into this thing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, was there actually aliens who were digging holes with shovels? I mean, and you start to realize, or if you even go, I did it with the, the whole thing about what are you actually seeing? So people say, I saw gray. And I say, okay, draw it. So then you draw it. I actually did a PowerPoint presentation. So I take Betty Hill's gray. I take uh, Betty Andreessen's gray. I take uh, Whitley Strieber's gray. And you go gray, 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 gray. And you look at these grays and not one is even close to the other. Everybody mm-hmm. just uses the word gray. But when you start to compare the, the, the drawings, they're all completely different. And you got to realize it's going through our perception and that they are appearing exactly what they want. There's a guy that you should interview. His name is Yossi Ronan. He's mm-hmm. an experiencer out of Israel. He has an encounter with the beings and he says, he says the, the beings are appear as green. They're like grays, but they're green. Mm-hmm. And they give them the message of oneness. This is in Los Angeles in the 1980s now lives in Israel. But he said that the beings um, when they left, and this is where you get this idea. Is it actually a, a physical being? He mm-hmm. said, when they left, they grabbed hands, these green beings, and they made a circle in his room, in his bedroom. And they started to rotate around. In this, and it went faster and faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. And then they became translucent. You could see through the aliens and they're going faster, 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 faster. And it turned into light and the light went into this little ball and it went boop, like that, gone. Off, yeah. So the question is, is it an alien, a flesh and blood alien, or is it a ball of light? And if it's a ball of light, does it eat bacon, eggs, toast, and coffee? So they're coming in, they can take the physical uh, uh, 
world. And that's what they told them. When we come into your world, we can take on a physical form, but that is not who we really, we don't need that. You can do the same thing you don't realize. Another example mm-hmm. I'll give you, Sherry, Sherry Wild, if you ever interviewed Sherry Wild, she wrote a book called to. The Forgotten Promise. And the Forgotten Promise is this whole deal of the soul contract. She's all upset, like, hey, quit taking me and you're scaring me and it's stuff. Uh-huh. They said, did you, do you not remember the promise that you made? You mm-hmm. made a promise to do this. You were going to get this message. So she's putting out this book and her kids disown her and she mm-hmm. still puts out the book and now there's going to be a movie. So she's at one point, she's, she's writing, the, she writes the book. She remember, she's sitting down at the, at the computer and she looks at the thing and she says, the word program's over. She's going, what's a word program doing open? I never use word. And then she looks, oh no, we're not going there. And as she sees it's three and a half pages of her story. And they start writing her story and they're forcing mm-hmm. her to write her story. And so she writes the whole story and then she takes it to the publisher. Now she's dealing with a being by the name of Da, who's a, mm-hmm. who's a Zeta. So she, and she goes to, and she says, he's, he told me from Andromeda and he looked like a, like a Zeta. So the publisher said, Andromeda, he can't be from Andromeda. He's <laughs> Zeta. He's from Zeta Articuli. Why did he tell you he's from Andromeda? So she says, I don't know. I'll go ask him. So the next day, a couple of days later, Da shows up in her bedroom. So she says, Hey, you told me you were a Zeta. You told me you're from Andromeda. You're not from Andromeda. Are you actually an alien? And he says, quote, that would not best describe who I am. And she said, well, who are you then? He says, I am on a being, on a mission from the creator traveling mm-hmm. through the universe. And that's the same idea as Yossi Ronan. They can come in, they can appear as whatever. They can be a deer. They can be an owl. They can be whatever they want to appear to do whatever job they need to do. And, and, and then, so she said to him, she said, well, well, why do you come as this, the scary gray thing all the time? And he said, scary gray thing. Said, Are you? And she said, yeah, you scare me. And every time you wipe my memory out. So you, you scare the living day out of me. Then you come back and you wipe my memory out and then you come back and I get scared again. And then he says, you ever look in the mirror? She says, what do you mean? And she's got big teeth. So she's looking in the mirror and he says, when we, when you smile at us, those big teeth, I think you're going to eat us. <laughs> You get these conversations where people, and I've asked lots of people, the, Nancy Tremaine is another one you should interview. I published her first book. I wrote the forward to her second book. She has a meeting with the, with the reptilians. Mm-hmm. So in, 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 I do the book and then uh, she, uh, she, and she researches the whole thing. 1961, she was taken before Betty and Barney Hill. She was taken mm-hmm. about three months before Betty oh. and Barney Hill in Michigan. And, and so um, I, I suddenly realized that uh, Nancy, so you saw him on the ship, right? When you were 12 years old, she said, yeah. I said, he said he was a reptilian. Yeah. So what was he like on the ship? Oh, he was a human being. He had dark hair. He was a real nice looking guy. He was sitting on mm-hmm. a panel. And, I, and it was the whole idea. So she asked him as well, are you actually an alien? And he said, we have always been here. This is this idea. We've always been here. It's the old idea that we can be whatever we want. Or there was these beings. I've had a couple of beings that gave me messages. I've never had a direct contact with beings, but I've had people give me messages while me to write books. And mm-hmm. I've written three books from messages from aliens. And mm-hmm. I got a, another one a couple of months ago from Another one you should probably interview. It's a woman in, there's two women in London, England, who are dealing with what are called the beings. And they come and they, they, they don't have any faces. They don't, they're little, little tiny black things and they don't have faces, whatever. And they say, we can appear, we can take you to our planet and be aliens if you want us to. And, and so I had an interview. They wanted to interview, they wanted me to interview them. And they wanted me to do a book. So she's trans-channeling and I'm talking to these beings. And the beings say to me, they said, I want to tell you something. We've always been here you're the visitor and that is just blows away. so you hear this military thing oh they're in our airspace they're you know they're interfering our airspace and stuff it's like no nobody owns the airspace 
it is it belongs to the universe mm -hmm. nobody owns it you're only here for 70 years you don't own anything and we have this idea that we own the airspace it's like no they were here first it's their airspace maybe that's why they're interfering with the military because you're playing around in the airspace and you're not playing nice in the sandbox and if you don't we're going to kick you out of the sandbox they were here first it's their air if anybody owns the airspace nobody owns it but if anybody owns the airspace they own it they were here first Oh well, it's that idea of ownership, though. It's so earthly. You yeah. know, it's like, it, oh, we own this so no one else can be here. And I could just see the aliens looking down on us like mm, none of you own any of this. Yeah. We've always I been here. You guys are <laughs> you guys are visitors and are, you know, it's the same idea of like uh, just encroaching upon, you know, animals that live in the forest. We're taking over their environment without asking them. I mean, yeah. that's kind of what we're doing to this planet. And, and this planet is not ours just because we live here. I mean, we are enjoying it and we are involved in it, but we don't own it by any means. Yeah, that's the ego thinks that ego thinks I'm here. I own I'm uh, don't tell me what to do. I'm an individual all this kind of stuff. And I always remind people, and that's a, that's one of the messages that people are going to want. Cause like, if you listen to Tom DeLong, Tom DeLong says, oh, they're, they're, they're evil. They're hive mentality. Yeah. And it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, they are hive mentality. That's how it works. Yeah. We are cells in the body. There are 85 trillion cells in the human body. We are all cells in the body of the earth. And when you get a cell in the body that decides it's going to do its own thing, don't tell me not to duplicate. I'll duplicate if I want to duplicate. What's it called? It's called cancer cell. Yeah. And, and what it does is it takes over the body and kills the body. When you get individualism, when you realize that you're going to do your own thing, it's like I always say the, the way it works is like a, like a football game. Who wins the Super Bowl? It's the team that, that actually works the best together. So you go into a football huddle. The way it works now in the, in the world is when you go in the football huddle and say, okay, we're going to, you block, you're going to run for a pass and block. I'm not blocking. Mm -hmm. I'm going to run for a pass. I don't, I'm not going to get injured. And ever. And so you go into a huddle and everybody does whatever they want. Now, how many football games are you going to win? If everybody's doing exactly what they want and nobody's going to tell you all have to work together to be <laughs> yeah. as one. That's the, that's the number one message they have. Bashar says the one are the, all the, all is the one. Mm -hmm. There was a, a guy by the name of, um, uh, he had the, he wrote a book called the children of the grays and he did not like the grays. He was very angry with the grays. He said to the, the tall gray one time, he was very angry. And he said, let me ask you a question. What's your concept of God? And he said, the tall gray said, we are one with the one who is all Brett Oldham is the guy's name. And Brett said, I was so shocked. I had to sit down. I said, I believe it when he said this, and you see this over and over again, this, this mm -hmm. oneness concept uh, even Edgar Casey, the, the famous psychic said one should be the first lesson for the first six months. Oneness of purpose, oneness of this, oneness of that. Oneness is the rule. If you work together, if we all work together, we win the game. If we all fight and, and, and rape, pillage, kill and steal, and whoever's got the most toys when they die wins. That's what we're doing. We're just raping the world. We're destroying yep. the world based upon this idea of, of ego, that we actually start to believe that we're a character, that we are the character on the stage and that we actually own things. And that's why we're so afraid of death and all this kind of stuff. We have to realize we are playing uh, a role. We're coming in. And that's mm -hmm. what the, the beings are, this consciousness rising is starting to show us is that it is much more complex than a physical world. We're still back in the idea that it's a physical world, it's random, it's just accidental, we're biological robots in a random meaningless universe. And the beings are showing us, no, you're all connected, you're all one, whatever you do to the planet, you do, you, you, you do and yourself, destroy yourselves. Yeah. And, and, and it's the idea that if you realize that, that everything is a part of you, then you're not gonna start cutting your hands off and your arms off. You've gotta realize that that's how you win is by all working together. And it is a hive mentality 
mentality. And that's one of the things that people aren't going to want to see. They want the other thing. They want to have the thing, oh, they're a threat. We need new weapons. We need mm -hmm. new money or whatever. The idea that they're that they were all one and we should all get along with China and Russia and the Mexicans and stuff like that, that a lot of people aren't going to buy that. They're going to mm -hmm. they're going to say or people say, oh, I think we're ready for the beings. I said, come on. I mean, we, 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 we have, you know, uh, cages on the border with kids in them and stuff like that. You actually think that people are going to be mm -hmm. saying, yeah, bring the aliens, bring them on. Yeah. They they look gray. There was even a, there's even a, uh, if you hierarchy, I don't know if you, how many people you've interviewed, there's people have this hierarchy of, of no, aliens. No. So uh -huh. the worst aliens are the black reptilians. Mm -hmm. The next worst ones are the grays. The good guys are the, the Caucasian ones. And the best ones are the, are the, the ascended masters, the great white, great brotherhood. Mm -hmm. And you start to see that we're in, we're, we're impressing our own belief systems on what we have. So we start to believe there are evil aliens and there are good aliens and stuff like that. And I'd say there is no good or evil anything. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let he who is perfect cast the first stone. You see the speck in the alien's eye when you have a log in your own. You see all these biblical things would basically say we're all one thing. We're all we're all flawed. We're all going through this reincarnation process. And you have to have empathy for the people who don't yeah. understand rather than contempt for the people who don't understand. And too much is given, much is expected. Or Edgar Casey said, knowledge not used is sin. When you and I know something and we we we're at a worse position than everybody else because when you die and this had to work out you knew you can't say well you know if if hillary clinton hadn't destroyed her emails well i would have got off my rear end and done something mm -hmm. you're not gonna be able to pull that scam yeah it, it's gonna be you were given all this material you knew you're in a, we're in a worse position than people on the street because they can say i didn't know you and i can't say we didn't know we know what's going on and that gives us the onus too much is given much is expected <laughs> no, I'm just like God. Yeah, no, it's just a lot to take in. No, but it's it's the truth, and it's just incredibly layered. Well, and and I agree with you on the whole no such good as evil thing. I've said it so many times on the podcast. Good and evil are earthly words. Yeah. We 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 are currently earthly beings. We have to stop thinking in these earthly realms. Good and yeah. bad to us is drastically different to what is good and bad in somebody else. And we can't. We have to stop thinking about it like that. And we've brought up on the podcast before, too, this weird hierarchy of these, you know, if they look this certain way, they're more important. Or if they look this certain way, they're less important. So it, you just yeah. literally hit exactly all the things that we believe. Mm -hmm. There's Absolutely. even there's even an idea that John Mack was bringing up near the end of his life is that whatever being you see is determined by your belief system. So if you're in mm -hmm. fear, you're going to see a great. If oh, you're yep. like, like uh, uh, Sinead was going to join us, if you we do an interview Sinead, you'll see that she had the encounter with the energy beings, which are the number one scene. So if you're a very uh, sort of higher uh, spiritual or religious or whatever, Chris Bledsoe sees it, sees a woman she believes is like an angel. Yeah, so that's the thing is you're going to see what you, what what you have. And that's what we don't realize. We think that there's a separate out there out there. We don't realize that we are part of what we're seeing and that you you are manifesting what you're seeing. And especially when it comes to the beings, that the beings can actually change whatever they want, or they'll come in as a certain type of thing to calm you down. Like the, with kids, they'll come as mm -hmm. clowns or they'll come as little doctors or uh, Chris Bledsoe had the little uh, Indians that came to play with him and stuff like that. So they'll change their thing as our perspective. But we got to realize we're part of what we're seeing. We always want to separate it and say, no, no, there's a world out there that's after us. Like uh, I'm this poor victim, the ego, I'm the poor victim. And these aliens are after me and my mother's after me and all this sort of mm -hmm. stuff. And we like to play the victim role instead of realizing that if it is a conscious world, it's all consciousness or yeah. Deepak Chopra says Deepak Chopra. The key word that he says is everything is an activity inside consciousness. So everything is made up uh, or, or Donald Hoffman says 
There is no, you cannot touch reality. Everything in reality is like a desktop icon or like a video game. You're when you're playing the steering wheel on a video game, it's not the steering wheel. You're mm-hmm. it's 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 in the reality is way behind it. And that's what we got to realize is that we are seeing things that we think are real and they're not real. The real reality is behind it, and that what we see is very much determined what we have. And that's where you see the aliens change so much during the years from the 1890s through to now. Mm -hmm. Now we're seeing triangles. It used to be saucers and stuff. I remember when I started, um, this random idea. And then there was the idea that um, abduction was not known. But in in those days, it was the ground traces. And people don't realize this. So the UFO would land and the aliens would come up with a little rod, this little Mm -hmm. rod, and they walk around and they pick up stones and plants and stuff like that. (laughs) That has not happened for 25 years. Yep. Doesn't happen anymore. Now we have crop circles. We have uh, the etheric beings that come into the rooms. They have all this kind of stuff. And the thing is, it's almost like the 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 beings, whoever they are. And I don't, the more I look at it, the more I think they're not going to be extraterrestrial. The way we yeah. think it. But they're turning the pages of a book. They say, okay, next page, next page. A light, light language. I don't know if you've ever done anybody with light language. But now I remember, and I've been in this a long time. And I remember when the light language thing came up, it was like, what are these people doing? These women are talking this language. And, it, mm-hmm. and then I started, I did a, a panel and all these women, it was like, they're all doing this light language stuff. I'd never heard that before. I thought it was like insane. And then I realized this is like a new phenomenon or orbs. Mm-hmm. I saw an object, which is about the size of an orb from about 50, 50 feet away in 1976. But in, there was no, the word orb did not exist in 1976. Now it's like, I have panels of these orbs and beams of light and smoke and stuff like this. These people, Mm -hmm. that did not happen 10 years ago. And so you see the pattern is changing. It's like we're Mm -hmm. evolving and that the whole scenario is changing. They're changing what they're doing. We're changing how we see it. And it's this consciousness is rising. We almost like you said at the beginning, when, when you, when you get that level, you can suddenly see it, you see it differently the higher your vibration is. So if you're at very low vibration, your first experience is going to be a gray. Or I always say this thing with the, the first experience is always the bad experience. So people yeah. go, I had a real bad experience. And then the more experiences they have, the better they get. Mm-hmm. So what's that all about? Or I say to the thing, sometimes I think the beings actually are creating, creating the trauma because I said in contact modalities, you have this trauma thing. So I say, I, and, and I look at things weird. Uh, so I, people say, I was, I was in the room and, and these, and these aliens came and I woke up and these aliens were standing there and it's like, I said, and then I started to think to myself, why would the aliens do that? So they come to you and say, wake up, puck, 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 puck. wake up, wake up. Mm-hmm. Puck, puck, puck. And they wake mm-hmm. you up and you look up and it's gotta be the most terrifying thing in your yeah. life. This ugly looking thing standing beside your bed and you disassociate, <laughs> boom, you disassociate. And then what does what does the being say? Go back to sleep, please. Mm-hmm. And, and I asked people, I said, what do you do? Well, I pulled the covers over my head, went back to sleep. I said, you did? And, and it instantly go to sleep. And that's this disassociation thing that they force you to dissociate. They're shutting the ego down. This you learn in psychedelics. In psychedelics, the, the, the ego, you have all these things where people are torn apart by panthers and, and they die and they, they suffocate and stuff. And that's when they're going into the psychedelic experience, what the psychedelic does is it shuts down the default mode network, which is the left brain, which is the ego. Mm-hmm. And the ego is fighting to stay alive and it kills the ego. You will hear this all the time My it, with psychedelics like with ayahuasca. My ego was crushed. Yeah. And I suddenly realized everything was live, conscious, and one. So once you move the ego and you shut, you turn down that left brain, you, you do it. And that's what I think they're, sometimes they're doing is they're forcing this trauma. They're forcing this trauma to shut that left brain down, to shut the ego down. Okay, now they're ready. Now we can take them. Now we can take them on board the ship. You can't bring your ego on the ship. They've got to shut that down because it doesn't make any sense. Why would, mm-hmm. why would beings wake you up to scare the living daylights out of you and then just tell you to go back to sleep again? Yep. Exactly. 
They would just keep you awake. (laughs) All right, Grant, we have had so much fun talking to you, but I I know that you have other things going on, so I don't want to hold you for too much longer. We didn't even get to talk to Sinead. Sinead's an interesting character. Sinead, come on the podcast anytime. Can we do a part two episode? We'd love to have you guys on again. We will email you. Yeah. Perfect, perfect. There's Sinead now. I know. She she popped in a little bit ago. Uh, (laughs) I've been hiding. I've been hiding in the background. I just want to say it's so great to see two women leading. Oh, thank you. Uh, Just really, really love that. It doesn't happen a lot. And I think we need more more female voices and representation in the field. So thank you so much. It's great to see you doing this. Thank Thank you you so much. Thank you for your contribution to this community as a whole. This is like one of the best moments for me. Yeah. (laughs) I I said we should interview them. Yeah. We're going to interview them. Absolutely. So we'll do an opposite because Sinead is... um, you know, I, I agree with you that I try to promote women and young people as, as as well, because it's it you get it into you start going to UFO conferences, you see it's like it's basically white people and old people. I remember the one guy yep. New mm-hmm. Jersey conference, and they said they the one woman came and said, "Have you got a, a discount for seniors?" And the guy said, "No, I don't." Everybody would get a discount. <laughs> it's true though. It's it, oh it, my I think god, it's about bringing this topic forward to the next generation and the next yeah. people who are going to go out there and, and, and take it in a farther direction. That's what we want. We really want to bring new people in because we don't want we don't want the interest to die out if we keep it, you know, a certain way and kind of in a box. And that's like such a funny point that you brought up. I remember one time my dad was like, why are you always watching these weird UFO lectures of these old white people? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I, it was the first time I actually thought about it. Like, and I was like, what? oh, you're right. You're right. And it's like, uh, no, yeah, this is There definitely needs global. to be more diverse voices in the field for sure. But I think that that's happening gradually, you know, more and more and Absolutely. more. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's a good thing. And we're becoming more of a global community, right? I mean, technology yep. definitely does not help us in some ways, but in other ways it does. And it helps mm-hmm. us be connected as a global community and share stories, right? So that's very valuable. I think that's been, that's the main, the main tool really in spreading uh uh, you know, more of a breadth of experience and more, more breadth and diverse, diversity of voices in the community. We really do need that. And it's interesting, too, how there are so many different people all over the world, you know, seemingly different people with different cultures, different backgrounds, different experiences, totally different lives than what we would think we experience here. Yet the patterns are very, very similar and very recognizable, uh, you know, across the board. I find that really fascinating as well. And that's a big clue, you know, to help us sort of figure out more what's going on here. Absolutely. We should maybe even do a panel. We were going to do a panel. Sinead, now we're going to do a panel with women so we can bring you on. Oh, we have, absolutely. We have Desta and we have Nicole and we have, um, and we have a girl like, the other thing we miss is that we think it's an American phenomena and no. Sinead missed the lecture. She had power outages, but we were going to, we did a, I did a lecture with uh, Xiao Ma from China and we don't realize we're only 4% of the population yep. over here. What about China? So we actually had a conversation. I had a conversation with her and we can bring her on as well. Yeah. We're women, just a conference, a uh, 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 panel, just women talking about ufology where people realize that, you know, these people are just as smart as everybody else. And they may be the, I always say to, in fact, I make the joke. I say, if the women don't take over the world pretty soon, it's game over. Cause men is left brain. <laughs> no, is, it is. It's that ego. Yeah. Versus you. That's the ego. The man is, it's, it's, it's the ends justifies the means. Let's fight. Let's have a, a war, whoever wins. And the women is into the family. Let's work together. Let's work as a mm-hmm. family. Let's it's the female brain. And I always said, if the, unless the female brain takes over or in, I'll give you an, an example in the UFO field, they did the thing with alien implants. Have you ever heard about alien implants? Oh, yeah. So they asked uh, Roger Lear, they said, 
What is common between all experiencers? He said, they're all right brain, female, right brain, creative people, and all implants are on the left side of the body. The left side of the body is run by the right brain. So whatever the beings are doing, they are not interested in the male left brain. They're interested in the female right brain because it's the one that interacts with the universe. That's why I said, unless the women take over pretty soon, it's game Mm -hmm. over because the men have destroyed the joint. It's definitely uh, the masculine energy is way tipped over. We need to balance the scales there big time. So we'll, we'll do a panel. We'll get a, we'll get a panel yeah, going. And absolutely. We'll do a separate interview and we'll, we'll promote your podcast and try to move you up the, the scale so you Ooh, can. Thank you. Thank yeah, you guys absolutely. so yeah. much. Honestly, and thank you guys so much for taking the time to come here and, and talk with us today. It genuinely means the world to us. Yeah, okay. big time. Big time. Thank you guys so much. Happy to do it. Happy to do it. And, um, you know, come back and make, like, make sure yeah. you stay in touch so that we can yeah. do more of the same. If we were yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Well, we also can't mm-hmm. wait to uh, see what you have going on at Contact. And contact yes. It's going to be very cool. Because yeah. I loved this book. So I can't wait to hear the lecture. We're really looking forward to that. Yeah, wonderful. And uh, you stay in touch with Sinead because I'm, it's like the male, male brain thing. Sinead mm-hmm. is very more... Uh, receptive and answers emails than I do. So yeah, Sinead, we'll set it all up. We'll do as much as we can to try to promote it because I, I didn't know you guys existed. And um, oh, thank you. I always look for We're hiding. Uh, females that are <laughs> doing podcasts and stuff like that because uh, I, th- I think it's time that you females took more of a lead in the UFO field to move that consciousness thing because the men don't, they're not interested in the consciousness thing. They're into nuts and bolts. Give me yep. the technology. Mm-hmm. and uh get the heck out of here and, yep. uh, exactly and we don't need to stay there we've yeah, been there we've been there <laughs> we've exactly. been there it's been years of that we gotta grow <laughs> all right grant we'll let you go because i know you got that thing in 15 minutes I thank know. you guys so you guys much. have a great we'll weekend too. too you too thank you guys you so much bye guys Bye-bye. what a great day wow that was fantastic